Welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency, whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious. I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and it has been a little while since I've been behind the mic. I am so excited to be back here. And today I am joined by Shane Chandra, who is the Senior Legal Counsel at SwiftX. Shane, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Alicia. Um, You know, what, what a treat to be on the podcast, I have to say. I was listening to previous episodes this week to prepare, and there's some great conversations in there. I was going back down the feed, and there was one with Raul Powell. How did you manage mm-hmm. to get him on talking about Metcalf's Law? There was someone, you yeah. know, Bitcoin mining and ESG with James Manning. It was just really awesome. So I'm really excited to chat. We have had some incredible guests on the pod and, and so excited to have you here today as well. Now, guys, you might be thinking like, why have we got Shane on? What's going on? We are going to be talking about all things exchanges. You know, everyone's kind of freaking out. Everything's happened with FTX and we're like, okay, let's talk about what's actually going on, what is being regulated, what people are doing in the market and what you need to look for in exchanges. Not just, obviously, we love SwiftX and you're you're from there, but going broader and thinking about the bigger picture here in what people can do to protect themselves a little bit more. So, super excited to dive into that. Before we do, Shane, question that we ask everyone to the podcast is, what was your very first crypto purchase and do you still have it now? Sure. Uh, Yeah, my first buy was Ethereum. It was, I think, uh, late 2020. So I certainly wasn't an early adopter. I'm also a rubbish trader. I just held it all the way up the bull market <laughs> and then all the way down this crypto winter. So, so yes, I still have it. I'm pretty close to Bitcoin maximalist these days, though. So um, don't, don't tell Toby Pav, the regulars, on this podcast that <laughs> I'm, I'm very boring when it comes to crypto trading. Oh, I love that. And and join the club. I am exactly the same. Like everyone's like, you, you should sell. I'm like, mm, nah, huddle, huddle for life. So good. Alrighty. So let's talk about FTX. Like we've covered it quite a bit in the podcast. It's been spoken about in crypto catch-ups a lot. What has happened since that, that fallout? And, you know, I don't think there'll be many people listening that don't know what's happened, but what's happened since then? What changes have we seen in the market and even from a regulatory perspective? Absolutely. So I think we've seen a real dissection of what actually happened at FTX trying to open up that black box. And, you know, I think the first thing to say is that there, there were these big names in the investment world, like SoftBank, Sequoia, BlackRock, who, who lost billions. But, but you have to feel for the retail investors, right? People who thought they were getting into this exciting ecosystem. They might have seen Super Bowl commercials, Tom Brady, Steph Curry, and, and believed this myth that SBF was constructing for them. But I think it was John Ray, the CEO who's overseeing the bankruptcy, he just said it was it was old-fashioned embezzlement. It was it was just a lie. I think there's an interesting question here that we saw bandied about in the US before the Senate hearing and Congress as well, about how much of it is crypto and inherent to crypto, and how much of it was just, you know, really bad and potentially criminal behavior by by SBF and his team. So on one hand, you had Senator Warren in the Senate Banking Committee. And this week she argued that crypto is is a front for money laundering and criminal behavior. And that's a really serious topic that I think the industry has grappled with. I mean, there's the counter argument that if you have a strong anti-money laundering regulator like Oztrack here in Australia, if you use good cutting edge transaction monitoring technology like Chainalysis, you know, can you manage that risk? Uh, we've managed it in TradFi. How should we do it in crypto? So there's an interesting debate there. On the other hand, you have, you know, John Ray. He previously oversaw the bankruptcy of Enron in the early 2000s. And he said to Congress that this was just plain and simple taking money from customers and using it for your own purposes. And that's, you know, as clear a definition of embezzlement and old-fashioned fraud as you can get. Which is so insane that we've seen this happen. And I think that's the the part that's most concerning is that in the market, we've seen, you know, all these different theories 
banted about and people going, no, 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 it was this, there was that and, and blaming it on cryptocurrency itself when it's like, well, no, it, it's not cryptocurrency. It's this person, whether it was a traditional company or an exchange or anything like that, this person has made these choices and these actions and that's what's led us to where we are today. Why do you think like in this particular instance, we've seen that happen? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I might come back to John Ray's breakdown because I think he's been able to pierce that veil and look into the black box a bit. You know, he's technically CEO of the company now and managing the bankruptcy process and obviously hugely experienced. Um, there was a really good AFR piece on this where uh, it summarized like five points that John Ray put out to say these were the problems that were going on with FTX in the main. And the first one was they commingled customer funds on an exchange and a proprietary trading platform, Alameda. The second one was that they use customer funds for hugely risky margin trading, up to 20 times or 100 times leverage and expose them to massive losses. The third one was they went on a spending binge, right, to the tune of billions of dollars with those customer funds, you know, endorsements, political donations, uh, Super Bowl commercials. The fourth one was that they loaned money to insiders to buy Bahamian property for their personal use, you know. And, and the fifth one was that they tried to market make, but they deployed these funds to a risky and unsafe third party. So, if ever there was a, a like deadly financial mismanagement cocktail, I think we have it there. I'd like to go back to, is it crypto or is it just you know really bad financial mismanagement? And I know some of the listeners in this podcast would be thinking, it's a straw man to say that crypto wasn't involved at all. Because what we had was you know FTX minting their own token, FTT, uh, using it along with customer assets as collateral to go and borrow and do all these things. And I think it's interesting to put that in context, right? So you have these new technologies and I think you'll always have bad actors who try and exploit them for personal gain. And the advancement of technology always outpaces, I think, the advancement of, of regulation. And I think we're about to see regulation in Australia and around the world uh, take a huge leap forward in 2023. And we, we saw this, you know, like this is sort of history repeating itself. We saw this with the rise of investment banking in the late 1800s, you know, and, and early 1900s. Before, I think it was 1933, where we had Glass-Steagall, you didn't have a separation between commercial banks and investment banks which looks pretty similar to me to not having a separation between an exchange and proprietary trading platforms. And in the context of the Great Depression, they enacted Glass-Steagall and they, they pulled those things apart. So I think we're going to see some changes like that in the not too distant future. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more with you. Like, I think as well, it just baffles me and blows my mind that someone thought they could get away with this. Do you think that they were, you know, and this is all speculation, do you think that they just thought, you know, that the things were going to keep going well and they were going to keep making the money that they were making and that's why it was okay to do this? Like, has there been anything written about that? I think, I mean, from what we've seen before Congress, it's been put down to inexperienced young people trying to run a billion dollar company. I don't know if that's true. They clearly must have had some level of intelligence and skill to be able to fool so many experienced investors. These were, you know, supposedly the smart money coming in and investing billions of dollars into the company. I think they did think they, they could get away with it because they just found this way to, in theory, print money and, and enter into this horrible, vicious cycle to keep it going. But I think one of the things with that is that at some point, the loans were called due. At some mm. point, people were able to trace and elements of that on the blockchain. And so I think the number was up. I think an interesting question will be when that happened and how much they tried to cover it up. So uh, it'll be interesting to see the reporting on when they thought, you know, things were going wrong, we should declare bankruptcy or we should stop doing this. And if that was much in advance of what we've seen, what we've seen recently. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to unpick. And like when, as you say, like when they realized they were in that hole, what, what happened next? 
Um, mm. I think will be a really, really insightful thing to know. Going back to regulation, we have had a couple of conversations on this podcast around, you know, what should be, could be, might be regulated. We haven't seen a lot happen over the last couple of years because, as you said, regulation takes a long time and people are still getting their heads around, like, what even is cryptocurrency? What's going on with all of this? And what regulation is important, not important? What should even be taxed? After you've seen this, you mentioned the separation. What else do you think might happen? Yeah, absolutely. So. I think as a base level, there should be a clear and open dialogue between policymakers and industry experts on how to protect consumers, you know, in their jurisdictions firstly, and then overseas, but also how to balance that with innovation in this space, which is a pretty simple message that we see with a lot of technology regulation. You know, I'm an optimistic guy in Australia. We have two consultation papers supposedly coming out next year. So I think that could be achieved here in Australia. The key areas, I think we see this crop up in almost every jurisdiction where they try and regulate crypto. So Examples of those key areas are one, you know, a huge one is custody. And I think for the listeners, that just means how you hold and treat customer assets, right? Now, there's obvious nuances there with the technology. So what does it mean to hold a crypto asset, you know, when by nature it's on chain? You know, you don't need to use like this Fireblocks uh, multi-party computation to hold your Australian dollars, but you might need to use that to hold crypto safely. But there's also well-established principles that we can take from TradFi on just dealing with other people's property. Another area is disclosure, which is, to put it simply, can we agree on the information that we should be providing to customers so they can make an informed decision? And when you think about crypto licensing, what we're thinking about is, depending on the type of business you are in this crypto industry, what bundle of obligations should you have, like disclosure, like custody obligations, and like others? There's also an interesting, I think, preliminary question here, and you might have heard the phrase token mapping. And this is the question that token mapping tries to solve. So, you know, how do we group different crypto assets and what rules apply to each group? So under MICA in the EU, NFTs, uh, they've said, fall outside the regulatory perimeter. But then there's, you know, e-money, asset reference tokens, utility tokens, all within the regulatory perimeter. So I think that's an interesting basis exercise to take first as we try and explore these interesting questions. And it's a bit of a rabbit hole as to how far you can go back. You know, in the UK, there's the Law Reform Commission, and they put out a 500-page report with top academics talking about crypto as a new type of property. So they called it data objects as a third type of property in the common law system. So I think it'll be a really interesting year to come, but there are really sensible starting points as well that we can take. Yeah. And I think going back to that, that security piece, like, and having to do these additional measures, you know, the reason you don't have to do it with a traditional currency is because it's done for you. You know, we've got these banks, we've got these institutions and they have the regulatory systems. They have, you know, the security and the, we've seen things not go well there as well, but they have all these measures that are tested and it's proven that that is going to work to keep your, your funds secure. Whereas in the crypto world, the whole point of it is it's decentralized. You are responsible for these assets. And so you are responsible for now for their security as well. Um, so I, I do think we will see a lot of movement on next year, as pat- particularly given this, and particularly given the movements off the exchanges as well. You know, there was a, a piece this week around Binance and they had, I think it was 1.9 billion moved off the exchange. That's obviously people trying to mitigate their risk. They're trying to safeguard their funds, bring it back to their own control. What are the things that people doing or, or could you see happen to to reduce their risks here? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I sort of, oh, there's, there's many pieces to that. So I think I'll come back to the start of that question, which is, you know, we have all these regulations in traditional finance with banks. We don't have the sim- similar regulations with crypto. It's new. The regulations that are appropriate are still developing. I think it's interesting to take a historical perspective on that and say, you know, 
how did these regulations that we have in traditional finance develop? So we talked about, you know, way back when in the early 1900s, you know, regulations and separation of different types of banking businesses developing. But even as early as, you know, the, the GFC, we had banking regulation there after a big crisis. So, and so I think it's an ongoing journey as to how these regulations should develop. And I think the approach in the industry is an, an interesting one. So while regulation is developing, I think internally in the crypto industry, you have actors who are saying, well, we're trying to do the right thing. You know, there are some things we can do to try and be open and honest with our consumers and try and help them out. Yeah. And particularly SwiftX, like we've seen a whole heap of comms. Obviously, you've probably helped to draft those comms. What sort of things are SwiftX doing to, to really push that home? Yeah. So I think I'll put it in context again. When I was still in practice going into this crypto thing and, you know, being a lawyer, I was curious about how Australia was thinking about regulating this really technology forward space. I think it was 2021, uh, blue team government at the time. And we had the Senate Select Committee on Australia as a technology and financial center. And they called for submissions so they could put out a report on crypto. And I remember reading through SwiftX's submissions because I had a bit of money on the platform. And they were calling out for a robust regulatory regime for digital assets in Australia. And that was one of the things that got me into the space because I remember thinking at the time, wow, you know, some of these companies are calling for more regulation, not less regulation. I thought that was really interesting. And we did that again once I joined the company. The Treasury this time was asking for submissions for the crypto asset secondary services provider paper. And it was the same message, you know, regulate us so that Australian crypto businesses can work with, you know, the big companies overseas, can keep up with the EU and US in innovation and make sure Australian customers are safe. So, and I, I don't want to make this about SwiftX. I think there are good crypto businesses in Australia. Uh, and we saw that, I think, in the wake of FTX with Blockchain Australia putting out a digital currency exchange affirmation. And what that was, was a voluntary statement saying, you know, we know that government's doing good work on regulation and that's coming, but what can we do in the meantime? And I was on the calls when we were working on that and people were upset that they had worked for years to try and do the right thing, build a trusted business and do right by their customers. And this fraudster in the Bahamas had hurt their credibility and had made people distrust what they were trying to build. So if it's interesting, I can go into what that voluntary affirmation mm. tried to say, at least. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, sure. So I think it, it was pretty simple stuff, actually. It was customer balances are held on a one-to-one -one basis. So, you know, recognizing that crypto's a, an exciting but volatile asset class, and we warn our customers about that. So you should probably hold the actual asset that the customer has chosen so you can give it back to them when they ask for it. Customer balances are held in full reserve, not fractional reserve. And so that's, you know, if, if a customer wants to withdraw their asset, can they do that? Even if many of them decide to withdraw it at, at once, like we saw with the Binance news this week. And then can we provide some proof about those things? So is that on-chain? Is that ordered financials? Is that both doing the best that we can to say, you know, be transparent, open and honest? Yeah. And is SwiftX doing any, all of those things? Yeah. Yeah. We're trying our best. So by signing up to that affirmation, you commit to doing all those things and yeah, call out the other businesses as well who put their names to that affirmation who are also trying to do all those things. And you know, I think it's like any industry where you'll have good actors and you'll have bad actors, but because it's a new industry, we're working out how to, you know, signal and show that these are the good actors you can trust. And these are people that maybe you should stay away from. And regulation, I think, will really help with that. And I think a lot of the ethos of exchanges is, you know, will help you get into the system. But if you want to then take control of your own assets, you, you should be able to do that. So, you know, we have guides at SwiftX about how customers can take self-custody of their own crypto assets. You know, we have links to, you can buy a, a Nano Ledger X, for instance, and go and put your crypto assets or take custody of your crypto assets with that. So I think 
that's an interesting piece as well that we might not see in in TradFi, where mm. you know, it's hard to store your fiat currency uh, anywhere else, and that's why we have such strong protections around banks. In crypto, there's a slightly different piece that you can take, which is self custodying of your assets, and I think uh, exchanges should educate their customers about that as well. Mm, I, I definitely think so. And there is a really good episode with Chris from CoinStop. So we'll pop that in the show notes as well. But I do think that's really, really important to, you know, if you're living in crypto on an exchange, you are open and exposed to more risk. It's just like, yeah, it's just yeah. good practice. Yeah, it's like it's like um, any business you're exposed to the risks of that business. Definitely. Now, going back to the regulatory space, We've spoken about, you know, what could happen, what's happening in Australia. We've mentioned the papers that are coming out. How are we comparing to what's going on overseas? Obviously, there's a lot more scrutiny over there because it is happening over there and they're actually having to deal with this in real time. Are we behind? Are we in front? Are we kind of stagnant as I've felt we've kind of been for the last couple of years? What, what's our comparison like? Yeah, so I'll, I might cover what's going on in Australia first and then jump across to how do we compare um, then overseas. So what are we seeing in Australia? I think, you know, it's an exciting time for the regulatory space in Australia. I think there's a bit of a regulatory sandwich at the moment. That's not a legal term. I'm just maybe hungry. <laughs> uh, the top bit of bread is government, right? So we saw a statement yesterday from the treasurer and assistant treasurer uh, saying that the next step is token mapping with a consultation paper early next year. And then they'll have a consultation paper on custody and licensing and then legislation around that licensing. So that's one side of the sandwich. The other side of the sandwich is, is ASIC, the financial services regulator. And they've now sued in quick succession, you know, coin, block owner, and finder. And that's kind of uh, regulation by enforcement. What they're saying is that these bits of the existing financial services legislation might apply in some cases. And obviously, that's very fresh, and we don't know how that will go. But that's an important piece to the, to the puzzle as well. So I think, you know, we're primed to be a crypto leader in Australia. And there's heaps of smart and capable people, great education system, really stable, respected financial sector. And to some extent, we are keeping up with, with the US and UK uh, licensing discussions are underway there as well. Governments expressed an interest to set up the rules. So, you know, in the US, you have Biden's executive order on crypto earlier in the year, and then draft bills from members like the Lummis Gillibrand bill. In the UK, Prime Minister Sunak had previously expressed a desire to be a crypto hub. And Treasury, I think, is finalizing plans to consult and then regulate there as well. But on the other hand, you have jurisdictions like the EU, and I think they are really in the driver's seat. And we can get into an academic discussion about how wide-reaching MICA is, uh, that's the market and crypto assets regulation. And I know that's been on a previous podcast before, but I think just the basic fact that they started in earnest two years ago, they got endorsement from you know 27 member states in the EU. That's pretty commendable, and I think they're really in the driver's seat internationally at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And all of these bills and all of these papers, if people haven't looked into them, are they all surrounding the exact same topics? Well, I think there's, you know, different ways to slice it and people might take different approaches. So you might tackle custody and licensing first, do token mapping second. But I think what we are seeing is common themes, you know, around token mapping, custody and licensing, disclosure, how consumers should be treated, what fits in the bucket of these different crypto businesses and service providers. And so I think there's a lot to learn from looking overseas to people who have done a lot of work already. And I think, you know, it's going to be so funny looking back in a year or two and just going, oh my gosh, why didn't we do it this way? Or, or you know, feeling like we either took the path of lethal assistance or we really fought our way to get this regulation across the board. It's just, it's so hard to know when you're almost going into it with a blindfold and you've just got no idea, no idea what we're doing or how we're doing it. And everyone's just kind of guessing that this might be the best way to approach it. Yeah, I guess it's like any new and complex problem for the regulators. I think maybe one perspective on that is, you know, let's try and get something sensible out there. 
let's consult with the industry and, and put it out so that we have a framework. And then let's see how that plays out and we can tweak it. You know, regulation doesn't just sit there and, and not change. It changes over time, depending on industry circumstances, depending on how technology develops. You know, we're seeing huge reforms in the traditional financial services regulation in Australia. And so I think there's something to be said about speed to market with something sensible so that we don't lose out on, on the benefit of all that innovation. Now, the other part that I wanted to cover off with you in this episode today is data breaches. So that's the other thing that we've seen, not just in the crypto space. We've seen that across the world in in many different industries this year. And it is something, again, that I, I want to touch on in this podcast because you have your, your legal expertise and you're open to this and you've seen good and great and terrible things happen at the same time. I'd love to provide some advice or thoughts for our listeners on what they can do to help avoid this and, and what sort of accreditations or practices or things they should be looking for when they're choosing who to partner with for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not an expert on cybersecurity, so I don't want to overreach here, but I do work with some experts. You know, one of our leads in our security team used to be the head of IT security in the British Army. So I think he's a good guy to have on board. You know, we've seen Optus, uh, Medibank and other hacks this year that have been such an invasive and disruptive event for those who've had their personal information compromised. It's so hard because you would think that those businesses uh, had every incentive to try and stop that but it's such a changing space. You know, one thing that we prioritized was trying to get our ISO 2701 certification, and we managed to do that. That's an internationally recognized standard for information security management. But I, I think the issue is, well, at least how the issue has been explained to me is, you know, threat actors get more skillful and sneaky all the time with new vectors of attack. So you have to do your best to minimize the risk to your business, and, and no one can eliminate that risk altogether. So your cybersecurity can't be set and forget. It has to be, you know, you do your best to keep improving it all the time. Mm, yeah. And I think that's the part like, you know, they're, they're getting trickier and trickier. As mm. So like you do need to look for someone who is continually innovating in there. Do you have any last kind of parting words or thoughts? You know, we've covered so much in this interview and I think there's so much to be said here in, in that, you know, we're still watching what's happening. But after what's happened, after everyone kind of looking to mitigate their risk, do you have any other, I guess, ways that people could do this or thoughts on what they should do? Yeah, I think it's sort of follow the space. We, we chatted about this before the show. You know, it's like dog years in crypto. Things move so quickly. And even regulation, which is traditionally slow moving, moves a little bit more, more quickly in the crypto space. So I think it's stay informed, you know, stay educated, listen to podcasts like this, but also all the information that, that you can get and really think carefully about what's best for you. You know, I had a boss talking about this and I think it'd be really interesting to keep the discussion going on where regulation's headed into next year, especially. Mm, definitely. And guys, there are some epic articles on the Learn platform that SwiftX obviously has as well that Shane, I'm sure that you've helped to craft up with the team over there. Um, so we'll pop them in the show notes as well if you do want to learn more about this. But I think the you know, biggest takeaway from this is whether you think this is boring or not, you need to be across this information because it does necessarily impact you. And are, are you actually supporting someone that you, you believe in and you know is going to be there to support you as well? Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, do your own research, do your own due diligence and think think carefully before you, you make your decisions. Well, thank you so much, Shane, for joining us today. It's been so good having you on the pod and we will talk to you very soon. It's been so great to chat to you, Alicia. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. 
Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.